0: Subject matter described in this podcast may be mature in nature and some details disturbing or triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, I'm your host Britt, and welcome to the Poisonous Minds Podcast. If you enjoy stories of true crime, unsolved mysteries, and the unknown, then you came to the right place. Luckily for you, I will be retelling you stories of all of these things. So grab yourself a seat, and let's hit this shit show. In today's episode, I will be covering the brutal murders of two sisters, Sharon Pope de Jesus and Lillian Pope in East Area, Indiana, which is now known as Lake Station. Sharon K. Pope was born January 15, 1953, and Lillian May Pope, born June 22, 1955, were two of 12 children born to a Marilyn and Donald Pope. It was said by sources that the parents were very abusive, and most of the children were either put into foster care or taken by family members. Some siblings have limited memory, if at all, of one another, since they were too young to remember some of their names. By December 1973, Sharon was 20 years old, married, and had two sons. However, she was at that time estranged from her husband and had 30% custody of her two sons. Sharon was also six months pregnant with their third child, but Sharon lived in nearby Gary, Indiana with relatives. She worked at Calvin's Drive-In on Dunes Highway in Miller at the time. Her sister, Lillian Pope, was 18 years old and lived in Portage, Indiana. She worked for the 1220 Bowl just down the street from her sister. Lillian Pope was also about eight to nine months pregnant. She was definitely considered full term with her first child. By all accounts from friends and co-workers at the time, the two women had a very active social life. Many who knew the sisters said that they were also best friends and would hang out often. One cold December night, Lillian met her older sister Sharon at Calvin's Drive-In waiting for her to get off of work so that the two could go to 1220 Bowl where Lillian had work to go have some fun. The two were last seen arm-in-arm walking down Dunes Highway towards 1220 Bowl, which was well within walking distance. There are no further accounts that the pair ever arrived to their destination. On December 13, 1973, a city worker was doing his checks of the sewer lift station on Clay Street. The area was known to be widely used for illegal dumping sites. He was on the northwest edge of the field, which is pretty dense with forest and land, while well, the city worker was doing his checks and he saw the two lifeless bodies of the sisters. Both women were found laying side by side on the gravel, fully clothed, in their red hooded jackets, blue jeans, and black boots. Sharon was in a fetal position while Lillian was laid face down in the gravel stretched out. Sharon had been so badly beaten in the face and the head that the police said she would not have been recognizable, and that isn't even what killed this poor 20-year-old mother. Her cause of death was a single gunshot blast to the back of the head. Lillian's cause of death was as well a single gunshot blast to the back of the head. The purse of one of the women was found containing money as well as several spent 410-gauge shotgun shells. There were no signs of sexual assault. Officers on scene were able to come to the conclusion that due to the extent of their injuries, that the murder had not taken place in the location that they had been placed after they were shot. There is limited information on what attempts to that were made to save the babies, but unfortunately they did pass away. Now, I'm no professional by any means, but this to me is something sinister. Someone with a score to settle, who is evil at its core. We all know these people, the ones I speak of. The shiver up your spine, the monster in your closet, the shadows under our beds, wearing the faces of fathers, mothers, brothers, uncles, and so on. Someone always knows something. And that is why I feel my venture into true crime podcasting is important. To keep cases like this alive, for the family to know that people do care. No matter if the case happened before my time, it is still tragic. Especially the fact that every article you can find on this case only really mentions the sisters were slain and that they were pregnant. Not the fucking fact that it's literally a quadruple homicide. Four people died that cold winter day in my book. Indiana was going through some shit at this time because the crime scene was covered by multiple police departments. Some mentioned in the case file Chicago, the Pope sisters episode, were East Gary, Holbart, and Gary Police Department. And the... case still ran dry. Police had interviewed friends, boyfriends, or people they had dated, co-workers, and others, but nothing stood out to the officers to name anyone as a person of interest. Now listen, I know what you're probably thinking. Britt, we don't want to be all true crime typical and say the husband did it, but what about the husband, Britt? Well, folks... The truth is, this class act, estranged husband, 22 year old Douglas De Jesus, was questioned by East Gary police. At which we have no idea what came about that or why he is not listed as a person of interest. Because, like what most innocent people do, De Jesus left his two sons at home with a woman who had been living with the father and never returned again. Apparently, This didn't raise any red flags to anyone because it was never pursued further. Just four years later, the brother of Sharon and Lillian Pope turned 17 in foster care, and his caseworker gave him a manila envelope that had newspaper clippings of his sister's murders. The caseworker said it was something that he needed to know. Larry, his siblings, and other family members have made efforts to keep this case in the light of the public by posting notices in local newspapers and having the case discussed on Casefile Chicago in 2018. Brother Larry had headstones put up for the sisters and their babies. Both unborn children were laid to rest with their mothers. The sisters lay side by side in Calvin Cemetery in Portage. It was later speculated Sharon had an older daughter the family was not aware of. They said that her daughter was born in 1969 and was put up for adoption. On her adopted mother's deathbed, she confessed to her that Sharon Pope was her birth mother. However, the family says they have not had the time to prove or discredit this. The detective that has now taken over the case in recent years has said that there is no DNA evidence and some of the records have been lost several years ago to a flood. He believes that these murders can be solved. He was quoted, I think there is somebody out there that knows what happened 45 years ago, and they want to ease their conscience. He also acknowledged that the killer or killers may themselves be dead by now. To give this a Kennedy curse vibe, in 1998, Sharon's oldest son, was shot in the back of the neck and killed. Her youngest son lived in Maryville with the woman who took them in after their father had left. So he suffered a similar fate to his own mother many years later and the brother was just left with nobody. That's just extremely sad. So I took a leap. I opened up a new email window on my laptop and started typing. I reached out to the lead detective, Mark Atkins, to see if there was any new information on the case that he could provide me and, well, you guys. Of course, I assured him, I, like many others, want to bring this case to the surface and try to help the family get some answers. Honestly, thinking about it now, I wasn't expecting anything in return. But, lo and behold, A day or so later, my phone chimes and I see the detective's name on an email preview. I held my breath with hesitation and I opened that bad boy. The contents within were limited but have sent me on a black hole of web sleuthing that I think I should maybe get an award for. The email reads, Ma'am, this case has been closed for now We believe that the suspect has been identified, but he suffers from an extreme case of Alzheimer's and cannot be prosecuted or even interviewed about the case. Detective Corporal Mark Atkins, number 81, and then his contact information. So, what's the first thing I do? Googs. Searching for the infamous case closing conclusion. What did I come up with? Not a damn thing. You actually can't even find anything about the murders in Indiana's public record system. Best I found was Lillian's estate documents and some minor legal settlements, but nothing about the murder besides the few news articles and the recirculating online articles about the case file episode. I know since it was the 70s, there probably wasn't a lot of documentation anyways, And then the damage files due to the flooding was probably not the best circumstances to take over a cold case that is now considered closed, according to Detective Atkins. I am by no means discrediting Detective Atkins. I would just think that closing a case that is 47 years old would definitely at least warn a news article or Facebook posting something. However, my brain took that email as an Easter egg, a secret message leading me to countless hours of research about people, places, and things happening in and around the area. Politicians, to serial killers, to similar type murders documented in the area, Indiana conspiracies and cover-ups, and frankly, right down to what I knew best. And that was that these types of crimes typically are committed by someone close to them. I don't want to mention any names for the sake of falsely accusing anyone, But, I will say, you can find some of these things too. And if you do, I'd love to hear what you think. Well, thank you all for listening to another episode of Poisonous Minds. Also, big thank you to all who listened to the first episode and rated it. I am forever grateful to you. Please rate, review, like, and subscribe on all your podcasting networks. And you can find me on social media at Poisonous Minds or at Poisonous Minds Pod. I'll see you all soon. Bye. Poisonous Minds podcast is written, produced, and composed by myself, Brittany Mejias.